John chapter 16, uh, 15 into 16. Uh, past couple weeks, we've been on page 848. I assume it's probably 848 or 849. So if you don't have a Bible with you, grab one of the, the black hard copy uh, around you on your chair, under your chair. Uh, we want you to be able to read along with me reading the Scripture, but along through the sermon in God's Word, uh, being good Bereans to make sure that what I say is in accordance with God's Word. So look into God's Word with me this morning. Let me read our entire text, and uh, I'll pray, and I'll, um, we'll, we'll jump in. So John chapter 15, I'm going to begin in verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Chapter 16, verse 1. I have said all these things to you uh, to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for your word. We have learned in both of our classes on Sunday mornings to treasure your word, uh, to steward it well, to understand it more, to be able to better share it with others. And so we're so thankful for uh, this gift that we have before us. Lord, we pray that Your Word, uh, which is living and active, would encourage us and strengthen us in this day, in this year, 2024, as it encouraged believers uh, almost 2,000 years ago uh, to be able to persevere in the midst of persecution. And so, Lord... Whatever that hatred, whatever that persecution may look like for us right now, or whatever that persecution or hatred may look like from the world in the future, Lord, let this text, let this moment uh, encourage us to persevere uh, and be a reminder for us when those things come. And so, Lord, help me. Uh, help me in humility to be able to proclaim your word rightly, uh, clearly, succinctly, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, uh, this is not the, the kind of text that um, makes, makes you lots of friends necessarily, or the kind of text uh, that makes you necessarily feel good after coming this, this day. I know it's cold outside, uh, you, you want something warm and fuzzy, and yet uh, this is the text we fall upon this morning in John chapter 15, and yet I believe it's a timely text, 
in uh, the life of uh, the, the church. I believe it's a timely for us at uh, the Fields Church, and so I trust the Lord with it. And uh, I want you to consider the, that while this text may have been written, like I prayed just a moment ago, for the disciples some 2,000 years ago as an encouragement for the hatred and the persecution that they were going to face, it was uh, a Scripture that would be read memorized and remembered by Christians throughout the generations that would be an encouragement for them in the midst of hatred and persecution. One such uh, was a man named John Fox, and John Fox was a pastor in England in the 1500s and uh, watched a lot of persecution happen during his lifetime, um, during the uh, reigns of Henry VIII and Bloody Mary after that with that awful nickname, uh, the, the blood that she shed of those who served the Lord. Um, he watched all of that happen, and after uh, Mary's, I think, sister Elizabeth took the reign and loosened some of the hardships and the persecutions on pastors and Christians at that time, uh, Fox was able to write a book that has been um, uh, continued to be translated over and over and over called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And he wrote this book about the stories of those who have been hated and persecuted and even martyred for their faith um, from the beginning, but especially highlighted those who had been persecuted for their faith during that reign of, of Bloody Mary as encouragement for any Christians and pastors afterwards to remain steadfast, to realize they're not alone, and that they can continue in the midst of those things. And so, more history went on. Um, a century later, there's a, a guy named John Bunyan who experienced a bit of freedom, but towards the end of his life, um, just before um, the, this, this um, great removal of pastors from the church, some 2,000 pastors removed from churches um, because of the act of uniformity in England saying that all pastors had to become uniform and their prayers and their sermons and, and their, their sacraments and all of those things had to look like this. 2,000 of them rebelled against that. And just before all of that happened, it was like John Bunyan was almost like one of the poster boys for this persecution that was coming. And John Bunyan rebelled against what they said that he had to do. He was put in prison for three months. He would have been released at the end of three months if he said he wouldn't proclaim the gospel anymore, but he said no way. And he continued in jail for 12 years. And like the Apostle Paul, he would not allow a simple, silly imprisonment to keep him from proclaiming the gospel and writing the gospel out. And it was there in prison that John Bunyan uh, wrote several great works, but the most famous uh, was The Pilgrim's Progress. Um, most translated book, uh, second only to the Bible. Uh, one that you can find that you could be able to read in modern English. One that even I would encourage you, you could read with your kids as we're doing, even right here. Uh, uh, this, this very season of our life. And what was right next to the Bible for John Bunyan in his prison cell? But John Fox's Book of Martyrs to encourage him. In fact, that Book of Martyrs was, uh, um, uh, there was an edict that went out in like 1570 saying that book has to be right next to the Bible in, these, in some of these churches for that season of life, to be an encouragement um, for people who would face hatred and persecution. But the sad thing is, is that for us, that's, it, praise the Lord, it hasn't necessarily been the reality for most pastors and most Christians in America the past several hundred years. Uh, and so we think that that's not the case for us, and we're caught off guard by those things. And I don't think it's actually been the best thing for us that we've forgotten that, that these words of Jesus, that Christians will be hated in the world, uh, that, that 
uh, Christians, like Christ, will be persecuted, even martyred for their faith. And so this freedom and this ease that we've experienced, uh, praise God, um, but it, it hasn't made us stronger and ready for the seasons that we may face into the future. Uh, it, it hasn't prepared us for the kind of life that many Christians, many pastors around the world are experiencing right now. And so we want to take these words seriously to be able to be better prepared for our future. We want to take these words seriously to be a better encouragement to Christians in any other circumstance or around the world that may face these um, situations. Parents, you need to heed these words to be able to pass them on to your children or your grandchildren because they'll be living in a very different world than we live uh, right now. Um, if you're a new Christian, you need to heed these words because you may have been told if you come to Christ, everything will be fixed for you. Everything will be easy. Everything will be sweet uh, after that. And while there is a sweetness and a joy to Christ, we have not been called um, to follow Christ down the wide, easy path. We've been called to follow Christ and then through the narrow gate and down the straight and, and narrow path that few find and few follow all the way to the celestial city in the end, right? Um, you need to be you need to heed Jesus' words when he says that if any would come after me, he must take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. That's not a call to an easy life. It's a call to a, a hard life, a, a life of uh, suffering, a life of persecution, a life even of hatred. And so let's consider Christ's words this morning. Uh, Jesus, in the context of John chapter 15 and 16, is in the upper room with his disciples on the night before he's betrayed. And if telling these disciples that he was leaving wasn't hard enough, imagine following that up with, yeah, I know I'm leaving and you're going to be alone for a little bit, but in addition to that, you're going to be hated and they're going to kill you. They're going to kick you out of the synagogue and they're going to they're going to kill you as well, so just be ready. Um, and yet, the words preceding our passage were the foundation and preparation for these kinds of words. Remember what Jesus said um, in John chapter 14. Um, Do not be, let your hearts be troubled. Believe. Four times. Believe, believe, believe. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He encouraged them that not only would He be with them, um, but the Father would be with them. The Spirit would, would be with them. The triune presence of God would be with them as they go into the world. He encouraged them to abide in Him. Uh, to abide in His Word. To abide in His love. And with those things as the foundation... He then is able to give this, this charge to them, this reminder to them. In fact, chapter 16, 1 through 4, my, my, our last section this morning, my last point this morning, is, is actually a helpful um, explanation for why Jesus is, is telling them those things. He's telling them, 16, 1, to keep you from falling away. Jesus is, in one sense, telling the people that hatred and persecution, um, even martyrdom, is coming so that they're not caught off guard. He's telling them these things that, so that they might remember when they face these things. So keep that in the back of your mind. Uh, as we've looked before and we've looked after, let's look at the, the text in chapter 15, verse 18. If you're taking notes I want you to note first and foremost the world's hatred of Christ and Christians. Jesus begins detailing the hatred that, that we and, and He has faced, highlighting the hatred of Himself and those who bear His name, Christians. Christ and Christians. Look in verse 18, if the world hates you. And I'll just pause there just to say the if is not a, 
You know, if you happen to, I don't know if you're going to or not, but if you happen to face, it's, it's not that kind of if as if it's, it might happen. It is going to happen. Um, he, he's guaranteeing that. Um, so in another sense, you could almost read it as, when the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Remember, Christian, if you've taken on the name of Christ as a Christian, you will be hated in this world. You will not be loved. Paul understood this. He who, before he was Paul, was Saul. And he actually hated Christ and Christians and persecuted them. And so when he has that uh, meeting with Jesus in, in uh, the book of Acts, and he's converted to faith in Christ, he too knows that he's going to face that same hatred that he delivered to Christ and to Christians um, earlier on. In fact, um, when Jesus confronts Paul on that, that road to Damascus, um, Paul says, Who are you, Lord? And, and Jesus responds to him in saying, why are you persecuting me? As if the persecution of Christians was actually a persecution against Christ. And so Paul knew that the hatred that he was receiving, um, uh, or that he had dealt out, he would then later be receiving. He even writes to one of his uh, young disciples in the faith, Timothy, in some of his last words, his last letter that we have in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's not an if, it's a when, it's a how. He says, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue, Paul says, continue in what you have learned. And have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Very much like Jesus' words here to remember these things so that you don't fall away. The Apostle Paul uh, challenges them with, with similar words. So does the, uh, uh, the Apostle John who's writing this Gospel when he writes his letter to the early church. In 1 John 3.13, he simply says, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We cannot be caught off guard, Christians, when non-Christians hate you uh, because of uh, whom you believe in and because of what you believe in in accordance with God's Word, because of how you're living. We cannot be caught off guard. We have to be ready for these things. And they hate Christ. Jesus already said in John 7, 7 that the world hates Him because He testifies about them that its works are evil. Jesus proclaimed the Gospel that, that mankind is sinful and that our works and our words are sinful against him. And when Jesus proclaimed that, the world hated him for it. Nobody, including me and you, do not like to be told that our lives are sinful, that our words are sinful. None of us like that. And so, remember, Christian, if you have the name of Christ upon you, you were once not a Christian. I don't care if you were born in a Christian household and your parents were Christians or not. I didn't make you a Christian. You were once not a Christian, and you too hated having your sin called out. Just think about growing up um, from your parents, hearing that you were a sinner and being punished and disciplined for your sin. None of us like that. And in that moment, you hated maybe mom and dad, maybe your teacher or your principal, maybe your coach. You, you hated whoever it was that was calling out your sin at that at that moment because you weren't a Christian. You didn't like your evil works being called out. And yet at one point, like the Apostle Paul, your eyes were opened 
All of a sudden, you went from being dead in your sins and trespasses to being made alive in Christ. And you realize that being told you were a sinner was actually the best thing that you could have ever been told because once you finally realized that was true, you knew you needed a Savior. And then the Gospel was shared with you that Jesus alone is that Savior and you trusted Him. And as Paul would write in Colossians 1.13, you've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of His beloved Son. And you went from hating Christ uh, in this world to loving Christ and even taking on His name. And so, Christian, now, if you've taken on His name and you begin to be hated and persecuted in this world, um, do not boast um, and, and brag uh, about the fact that you know Christ and, that, and don't rebel against that in thinking that you're better than that other person. That should give us a humility and a sorrow for that person across from us that we should realize that it, it's going to have to be God that intervenes just like God had to intervene in Saul's life so that he could trust Christ um, at that moment. It's going to have to be God, just like it was God in your life who intervened and caused you from, to go from hating Christ to loving Christ, to go from being uh, an atheist or an agnostic or just a simple unbeliever to becoming a believer and calling yourself a Christian. Praise God. Let that... Uh, let that humble you and give you a sadness and a sorrow for those that are hating you. This is why uh, people, Christians who are put in prison are able to pray for their captors uh, and love them because they've recognized this. They've realized these things. Realize what Jesus goes on to say in verse 19. If you were, not, if you were of this world, then the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Christian, there's a way for you to be loved in this world. And that's to live like the world. Continue to live like the world. Believe like the world. Proclaim like the world. And the world will love you. But Paul says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, which would be contrary to the rest of the world, countercultural, paradoxical to the rest of the world, you will be persecuted. And so if we're attempting to live like Christ, we have to expect that kind of persecution will come because we were chose out of this world. The world will hate Christ and Christians because we are not of this world. We are chosen out of this world. And Jesus commands them in verse 20, remember the word that I said to you. And here He references back in chapter 13, verse 16, where just after He washed the disciples' feet, He encouraged the disciples to wash one another's feet, saying a servant is not greater than their master. And if that was true simply in regards to service, it's also true in regards to hatred and persecution. Um, it's not simply true of this area of life and not true of this area. Okay, Jesus, I'm going to serve you, serve one another like you served me, but I, I don't want that persecution stuff. And, and what happens if we jump into that service aspect of one another and then all of a sudden we're persecuted, are we going to leave that service of one another, that Christ-likeness, simply so that we don't experience the hatred? So Jesus says, just like I said to you back in regards to service, that a servant is not greater than his master, you too need to serve. The same is true here in regards to hatred and persecution. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. On the opposite side of that, Jesus says, if they kept my word, they'll also keep yours. And so here's the dividing line here. The world... 
and uh, those who are not of the world. If you're not of the world, they're going to hate Christ and Christians. Uh, or if they are of the world, they're going to hate Christ and Christians. Um, but if they're not of the world, uh, they're going to keep His Word and they're going to keep your Word. They're going to be not of this world because they too are chosen out of the world. So there's a dividing line here, Jesus said. Those who are of the world and those who are not. Those who hate Christ and those who love Christ. And we have to uh, be aware of that. We can't be caught off guard and think that just because uh, we live in a certain period of history in America that the world is going to love Christians and love what Christians stand for and love the church and love what the church stands for. There will continue to be growing opposition to these things, Christian. There will continue to be growing hatred and persecution even uh, against Christians in the, in the days to come. Yes, even in America. I don't care who is elected uh, later this year. There's going to be a continued increase of those things. And so Jesus says in verse 21, closing this section, but all of these things they will do to you. Why? On account of My name. Because they do not know Him who sent Me. We need to realize that they're not doing these things to us. They're doing these things to Christ. And we happen to be the ones who are bearing the name of Christ. Jesus would say elsewhere, if they hated you, remember that they first hated me. It's this uh, idea that, that Christ in us is the one whom people hate. Um, Jesus wants us to remember that. And you can realize that, you know, depending upon whose name you take, whether or not you're hated. If you, you know, take on the Cowboys this afternoon, then you're going to be loved by one group. You take on the Packers by name later on, you're going to be hated by another group. Um, you vote for this person later this year, you're going to be hated by half the country. You take this person's name, uh, vote for this person's name later on this year, you're going to be hated by the other half of the country. Well, when you take on the name of Christ, you're going to be hated by most of the world um, because of whom you believe and because of what you believe. But Christian, take heart. Take heart. Jesus will say later in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Or you could remember His words back in Matthew chapter 5. In the Beatitudes, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, Christian, consider, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on My account, Jesus says. Rejoice and be glad. Why? For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And Jesus would go on to show, so they persecuted Me. And so they will persecute you, the disciples and the apostles. And so would they persecute Christians uh, after that, especially into and after the Reformation. And so they would continue to persecute Christians in the missionary movement of the 1800s. It is going to happen. But not only do they, does the world hate Christ and Christians, but the world hates the Son and the Father, Jesus makes clear. He hinted at it already in, uh, in, those, wor in, in those verses. Uh, about He who sent Me in verse 21. But here He lays it out a little bit more clearly in verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, 
they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. And so Jesus highlights here um, to these disciples, these Jews, that they're going to go out and be hated by the world by people who say that they love the Father. But in reality, when they, they say that they love the Father, but their actions are actually showing that they hate Christ, and by hating Christ, they actually are hating the Father also. This is why later on, Jesus says that, disciples, your persecution is actually going to come from uh, those who claim to worship God. You're going to be kicked out of the synagogues, the churches. You're going to be killed by those who claim to be doing service to God. And so, hating Christ is actually hating God. Now, this will um, be very countercultural uh, when, when you think of other religions who say that they believe in our God, but they deny Christ being the Son of God. Um, this, is, this goes right against those things. And Jesus says that he's hated for two reasons in two different sentences. One is for his words, and the other is for his works. And you too, Christian, are going to be hated for your words so long as they model Christ's words in the gospel, and you too are going to be hated for your works so long as they um, are Christ-like um, in, in, in an attempt to honor the Lord. Jesus was hated for His words and for His works, but He definitely says something here that's intriguing, uh, questioning. Uh, I'm sure your ears perked up the couple times I read to them, and, and you're saying, Brian, please explain that. What does it mean in verse 22? If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. Or later in verse 24, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. Well, what does that mean? What is Jesus saying? That sounds like it would have actually been better if Jesus had not come. I mean, because if He came and He preached and He lived... His words and His works testified against them, and that made them guilty of sin, then why would you even come? I mean, this same kind of argument is actually used when people ask the question, what about people in the world that have never heard about Jesus? What, What happens to them? Are they going to die and go to hell? Surely not. Surely not. Surely Jesus will save those people who never heard the name of Christ. They never heard about the death and resurrection of Christ. Um, And I want to say to that, that's absolutely not true. That's why we're so intentional to spend our days and spend our years and spend our money and spend our vacation um, and sending our own people, our best people, to the ends of the earth so that the gospel can be made known to them because they will die and um, go to hell if they don't hear about the saving grace of Jesus Christ through His death and His resurrection. But, but if that were true, which it's not, if that were true, the worst thing that we could do for them would be to send a missionary to them. Because if they never heard the name of Christ, then actually sending a missionary to them to tell them about Jesus would actually condemn them. They would have been better had that missionary not come. Does that make sense? And so this, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Um, Jesus is not contradicting the rest of the entire Bible that says we are all dead in our sins and trespasses. What Jesus is saying is these Jews were guilty of a very specific sin, and that is 
denying and rejecting Jesus right in front of them. His very own words of the Son of God and the very own works of the Son of God right before their very own eyes. And Jesus has other words for those like that, that their destruction and their punishment will be worse than Sodom and Gomorrah later on because they saw Jesus with their very own eyes. They saw His works that proved He was divine and the Son of God. They heard His very words um, of, of eternal life and they denied Him, rejected Him, crucified Him to His face. That's what Jesus is, is attempting to say and that by crucifying Jesus, they were actually hating the one that they said that they loved, which was the Father, Yahweh. They didn't. And so Jesus says in verse 25, actually, the Jews' hatred of Christ and His Father was actually a fulfillment of Scripture. Verse 25, but the word that is written in the law, in their law, must be fulfilled. And so here Jesus quotes from Psalm 69, verse 4. In Psalm 69, Verse 4, and there's another similar phrase in uh, Psalm 35, verse 19. Both of those psalms are laments of David um, because David is being persecuted for his own um, faith. He, he's being persecuted as, as king. And he cries out to God and, and is saying, Lord, deliver me from these enemies. Uh, help me in the midst of this. Reestablish me there as king. And in Psalm 69, verse 4, the, the Scripture there is, More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal, must I now restore? Jesus by quoting this Old Testament Scripture of David, this Old Testament lament and song of David crying for deliverance in the midst of hatred, Jesus is saying that David is a, a type of, of Christ. He's a shadow of Christ who would come. Jesus takes David, David's own words as a righteous sufferer um, back in the Old Testament. And Jesus ultimately says, I'm the most righteous sufferer that has ever lived. In fact, I'm the only truly righteous sufferer that's ever lived. And that Scripture has to be fulfilled in me. These Jews have to hate me and persecute me so that I might be crucified, so that I might be resurrected so that I may conquer sin and death and offer eternal life to all who would repent and believe. So it's amazing to consider how even the hatred and persecution of the Jews against Jesus in that time was a fulfillment of Scripture and was a part of God's plan. Christian, can't that also then be applied to the history of Christians who have also been persecuted and hatred? Hated. Think about how God used the hatred of, uh, in persecution of even John Bunyan, whom I mentioned earlier, to be a, be a part of God's plan and writing such great works while in prison and encouraging so many Christians along the way with that, that great work, the Pilgrim's Progress. God will use your hatred. God will use your persecution um, to, to build His church, to encourage others, to strengthen others, to maybe even bring about the salvation of, of others, your captors. We can see stories like that in the Apostle Paul who was put in prison and then saw the work of God in delivering Paul out of jail, that Philippian jail and that Philippian jailer and his entire household believed and, and were baptized. You don't know how the Lord will use the hatred that you experience, Christian, that's ultimately done to Christ. 
But you don't know how the Lord will use that in your life to strengthen you, in others' lives to encourage them in a similar situation, or even to bring about the salvation of, of someone else. And so we have to first know that the hatred that the world shows to Christ and to Christians is ultimately a hatred towards God, but it is a part of God's sovereign plan of redemption. It will be used by God. Um, we, can, we can trust Him in the midst of it. They hated Jesus without cause, and they will hate you too without cause because of your words and because of your works. And so realize you're in good company with Christ and with the Father, and your life and your, the plan for your life is in good hands with, with Christ and the Father as well. But it goes beyond that. Uh, Jesus says in verse 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth He describes Him as. So again, Jesus was persecuted because of His words, what He spoke earlier. It's going to be the Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit, the Helper, the Spirit of truth um, that comes to us, that helps us, who will proceed from the Father. He will bear witness about Me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And so here we see, in addition to Christ and Christians, in addition to the Son, uh, the hatred of the Son being directed towards the Father, here there's going to be a hatred from the world against the Spirit, against the Spirit of truth and Christ's servants. We're called Christ's servants earlier in this passage, so use that to describe the disciples and, and the disciples of Christ who would follow, who will also bear witness. Notice that um, Jesus is, is saying that there is going to be uh, a continued hatred of God's people who receive God's Spirit because He is the Spirit of truth. And He will bear witness in the same way that Christ bore witness, that He was God's Son. And it's the Holy Spirit, Christian, whom God has given to everyone whom He's made alive. Whom God has given to everyone who's repented and believed. This gift of His, His very Spirit to be with you. And it's His Spirit that is going to help you in um, knowing and understanding and reading and memorizing meditating on and proclaiming the words of God as you dedicate and devote yourself to do that year after year, it's the Holy Spirit who's going to help you bear witness. Uh, it's going to be the Spirit Himself that, that bears witness through you to someone else. It's, it's not us who alone makes someone else alive through the Word of God. It's, it's not. It's the Spirit that does that. And what is that, that word, witness, in, in the New Testament? But the Greek word, uh, martyrial, martyr, where we get our word for martyr there. And so you can see how um, that word is, is all, you know, even in our English language, used to tie together the hatred and the persecution that that we are going to face. And Christians, so long as you are living uh, in accordance with the Spirit, displaying the fruit of the Spirit, you too are going to be hated. Now, if our lives are not displaying the, the fruit of the Spirit, then we likely will not be hated by the world around us. But we are commanded we are called to live a life that does display the fruit of the Spirit. We're called to live a life that is in reliance upon the Holy Spirit. We are called uh, to a life that proclaims the very same words that this 
Holy Spirit inspired and wrote down for us. We're to treasure those in our heart. We're to proclaim them to others. And so there is going to be a hatred. Uh, even against the very helper, uh, not just the Son of God, not just God the Father, but also the Spirit of God. Because as we'll see in the very next passage, it's the Spirit who is going to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And the world does not like being convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Nor did we before we were made alive to know Christ uh, as the Savior of the world. So this hatred is just building upon uh, itself and it will enter into every facet of life. And so Jesus ends this section uh, of, of Scripture telling, again, as I shared with you earlier, the reasons why He's saying these things. As if Him telling the disciples as if telling the disciples that Him leaving wasn't going to be bad enough. In addition, they're going to have to face this hatred. But he says in verse 16, uh, and here you might note that the world's hatred is predicted and revealed. Jesus tells them why He's telling them these things. I've said all of these things to you to keep you from falling away. To keep you from falling away. Now, again, Jesus is not saying something contrary to the rest of all of the Scriptures and all of what He's already said in the Gospel of John. That it's, He's not saying that it's actually possible for a true child of God, for one who's truly a follower uh, of Christ to actually fall away. But there are many who claim to be Christians who in the end fall away and prove that they actually never were Christ's true disciples. And Jesus doesn't even want them to fall away for a short bit, for a short moment of denying Him, even though He trusts that they will come back to Him. But think about what's about to happen as Jesus goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane and He prays and Judas and the, the Roman guards come to arrest Jesus. And in that moment, all of the disciples fall away. They run away. Praise God, they all return. They all prove to be true disciples of Christ. They all eventually say, no, I'm willing to be hated. I'm willing to be persecuted like Christ. And actually, church tradition, church history would say that, that 10 out of the 11 that are there that night would die a martyr's death, except for John, who's writing this, who what we know is that he was exiled on the island of, of Patmos for, till the end of his life. But all of these may, may have fallen away for a short time, even with these words as a reminder to help them and to remind them and to keep them. Uh, they, they did not hold fast to God's Word for that moment. But praise God, when they realized that they repented and came back. But, but Christian, remember, these words are given to us to help us not fall away in the little times. Um, and if you do fall away and deny Christ and don't stand up for Christ and don't stand up for the truth, repent, turn back, come back to Christ and His words. Jesus says they, in verse 2, they, they will put you out of the synagogues. Again, we see there that the hatred and the persecution that they're going to face is from their own people. Um, yet those who do not see Jesus as the Messiah, do not see Jesus as the Christ. And Christian, um, we are living in a day when there will be people who call themselves Christians and yet are persecuting um, others who are Christians because of their strong beliefs in one area of life or another. 
people who may call themselves Christians and yet do not stand in accordance with God's Word in regards to things regarding gender. Do not stand in regards on God's Word in regards to things regarding sexuality and marriage. They do not stand on God's Word regarding the, the things of life and the sanctity of human life. And, and yet they may call themselves Christians and say, we have a different view about that. And, and there may be um, hatred towards those who are truly Christians and do stand on God's Word in regards to those issues. And so we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware that there may be hatred and even opposition even from those who say um, that they've taken on the name of Christ. He describes it even more. He says, Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. That happened for the apostles. The apostle Paul thought he was serving God in, in, in giving confirmation for the, the persecution of Stephen. There were people in the church who were killing the reformers in uh, the 1500s who thought they were doing that in service to the Lord. Um, that will continue to happen until Christ returns. And they, he says in verse 3, will do these things because they have not known the Father nor Me. Again, the reason they're doing these things is not because they hate you, but they don't know the Father. They don't know Christ. And that should, Christian, humble us and cause us to pray and cause us to ask the Lord to do a work in their life that they would know the Father and they would know Christ and His saving grace. But Jesus says, I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. These were encouraging words uh, in the sense that knowing something was coming and it was predicted and revealed that it would come, that they at least had a heads up by Jesus. In fact, Jesus would later come to the Apostle John in a, in a vision in the book of Revelation. And he would give John the entire book of Revelation to encourage Christians who were going to be persecuted in this world until he returned. Just read through the book of Revelation and see what encouragement there is for Christians to persevere and conquer, 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 conquer until the end. It's the, the entire book of Revelation is, is an encouragement for Christians throughout. It's not just about what happens in the future. It's about what, what's happening right here, right now, to be help for us in persevering till the end. And so we need to consider that there have been some who have gone before us who have been um, not just hated, but persecuted, even killed and martyred for their faith. Um, there, there have been some, that, that book that I mentioned to you, Fox's Book of Martyrs, though while it was written in the 1500s, there could be updates to that book. In fact, there have been updates to that book that have included the stories of those who have been hated in a dramatic way and persecuted and even killed for their faith throughout the centuries. Stories of missionaries like uh, Jim Elliott and Nate Sait who were killed and hated by an unreached tribe in South America uh, for their faith. Countless stories of other missionaries. Or we could even think I Recently, here at the Y, one of our outreaches met a young lady who's a part of the Egyptian Coptic Church just several blocks from here. And we reminisced on the sadness of uh, many Coptic believers drug out onto the beach in Egypt years ago and were killed for their faith. These words, um, while we may not face uh, immediate persecution, 
uh, and, and martyrdom for our faith, for gathering together as a local church, that time may come in our lifetimes. I don't know. Uh, but Christian, it's happening around the world. These scriptures are to prepare us for whatever may come in our lifetime, whatever may come in our children or our grandchildren's lifetime. These words are there to encourage the church around the world. So, so hold them and keep them and remember that Christ gave them to you to remember and to keep you from falling. And if you've yet, if you've seen yourself actually as one of those who's hated Christ and hated Christians, and yet at this morning you've realized that there's actually no hope for you apart from being chosen by God to have the truth of Christ revealed to you that He died and rose from the dead. If this morning um, you're realizing that for the very first time, consider uh, that, that Christ is opening your eyes like He opened Saul's eyes to know the truth of Christ and today to repent and believe, to go from being uh, one who is of the world to one who's simply in the world but not of the world. Trust Christ today, but know this. In trusting Christ, your greatest need has been met, the forgiveness of sins. And you will be with Christ forever in eternity. But please do not hear this pastor or this church say that all of your problems will go away. You'll have Christ with you in a church to walk alongside you in the midst of it. But know that you will be hated by the world. And some of you have experienced this. You've become a Christian and your friends um, no longer love you like they used to. And that's okay. Because you have Christ and you have His church to walk with you. And if you trust Christ today, that will be true of you as well. So let me urge you to do so this morning. Let's pray. Father, would you open the eyes of any who are here this morning who have been simply of the world up to this point, but this morning have realized that there is no hope in being of the world. They need to be chosen out of the world by you. I pray that having realized that, they would respond in repentance and faith and trust you and know that eternal life has been granted to them. Lord, let them walk in growing faith and growing obedience all the days of their life. Help us as a church to walk with them, those who have come to faith recently and are now here with us. Lord, help us to encourage one another in those things, knowing that we too, we all together, will be hated. Jesus, I'm thankful for the period of peace that even we specifically as a church have experienced in meeting in a, a building in the world, a part of the YMCA, and are even appreciated in this place. But Lord, let us never take that for granted. Never let us think that that ought to and will continue forever and ever. And so, Lord, when there are ways, not if, but when there are ways that individually or corporately as a church we are hated and spoken against, I pray that you would help us to remember that um, that you experience the same thing, that you're with us in the midst of it, and that we have an eternal reward waiting for us. And so help us to persevere well. Help, help us uh, not fall away in the small uh, ways. Lord, I pray that we would be mindful, uh, remembering these words when those moments come. This afternoon, this week, this year or this lifetime, Lord, whenever that may be. Lord, help us to be prayerful uh, for the church around the world who's experiencing this kind of hatred more severely. Help us to be prayerful and mindful of, our, of missionaries that we know that are living in hostile places. Let, let us remember that 
these Scriptures may be even more so true of them than us right now, and let us use our freedom and peace to be prayerful, sacrificial, selfless, and serving and giving towards the needs of others. Lord, we want to be prepared well. So I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for this word that we can preach and apply to our lives, not knowing what the future may hold. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.